Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the sixth book in the Bible, Joshua. We'll be in Joshua chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 7. When you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's Word and remain standing for a time of prayer following. Good morning. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness that Miss Karen Matthews just sang about. Lord, I pray that you'd speak mightily through Ben this morning about your faithfulness, Lord. And I pray that our hearts would be open to receive the message. Thank you for the day that you've given us. And thank you for all your many blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good to see you in God's house this morning. Are you glad to be here? Amen. I am too. Thank God. Hope your families are staying safe and healthy, that you had a good week. So we're going to be starting a new series today called An Unlikely Legend. And it's only going to be a two-part series, and I actually threatened to preach both parts in one service, but I'm going to have a little bit of mercy on you guys, and we'll do two different Sundays. And you say amen there too. That's all right. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2, and you know, there's some special things about the Old Testament. I think a lot of uh, pastors sometimes really stay in the New Testament, which I can understand a lot of times, but if you overlook the Old Testament, you're forgoing a lot of beautiful, beautiful um, scripture that always points back to Jesus Christ. And in this story of Rahab, I want you to understand that she was truly an unlikely legend. And we're going to start today with just talking about her story really talking about what brought her to fame in Scripture. What brought her to, into a relationship with the true God of the Bible? Who is this woman named Rahab? And what happened in Joshua chapter 2 that changed her life? So, so well read before, Joshua uh, 2, 1 through 7. Um, as we think about biblical heroes, and a lot of times, you know, I'll ask Henry or Charlotte, I'll say, you know, who's your favorite character in the Bible? You know, and sometimes they'll say Jonah, or sometimes they'll say Noah, or sometimes, you know, they'll say those kind of folks, the ones that, you know, there's the really colorful stories that we all grew up hearing. But very rarely are you ever going to hear someone say, my favorite character in the Bible is Rahab. Just not going to hear that very often. But, you know, I think God had a different point of view about Rahab. And God used Rahab in such amazing ways. We're only going to be able to scratch the surface today, and then next week we're really going to fully see the true fulfillment of how God truly used Rahab, and not just Joshua, 
but in the entirety of the Scripture, even in the New Testament. So when we think about that, you know, you think about Rahab. But who was Rahab? That's kind of the question that we'll look at today. Well, if you look at her name, her name is actually two different words. Rahab, the first being Ra, R-A. Now that is actually the name of an Egyptian god, an ancient Egyptian god. The name Ra combined with Hab actually means insolence, which basically points to rude or disrespectful behavior. So you think about this woman, as was just read, she was a harlot, a prostitute. She's named after false gods. She's named after disrespectful and untasteful behavior. But yet, she finds herself in Scripture. Now, as we look at Rahab, we know that in the Bible, uh, specifically the Old Testament, that God dealt specifically with the children of Israel. From the time that Moses took the Ten Commandments off of Mount Sinai to the day of Calvary, God dealt specifically with the Jewish nation. But you find in these scriptures about when God is dealing with the Jewish nation that God is still saving Gentiles. God is still calling Gentiles to come into the family of the Jewish nation. Rahab was a citizen of Jericho, which meant she was an Amorite. She was a Gentile. She was a pagan. Uh, a re- she uh, followed the pagan religions. She worshipped idols. She worshipped a plurality of gods and goddesses. It would not have been uncommon for someone in Jericho, if you have gone into their house, they would have had all of these little statues and idols sitting everywhere in their home, each one meaning different things. And they would bow and they would worship these idols. And they felt like these idols gave them good luck. And this was what she grew up in. This was all she knew about life. There had not been a missionary, if you will, that had gone into Jericho at any given time and taught about the true God of heaven. This was truly all she knew. She was a harlot, as I said. She sold her body for money. And that was what she was known for. That was her title. And many times, I think, even in American society, we are guilty of defining people by their careers. You know, oh, he's a doctor. You know, who cares how good of a husband he is? Who cares how good of a dad he is? Who cares if he serves in his local church? He's a doctor or she's a teacher or or they do this. They work in construction. And sometimes I think we fall into that that guilty uh, cycle of defining people by what they do for a living. Here I think the Lord in the scripture is defining her by being a prostitute because God is wanting to receive glory in Rahab's life. He's not saying that we should define her this way, but he's wanting to set the tempo for what he is going to do in Rahab's life. In other words, where did she come from? How low did she truly get in her life? And we may have someone in here who has at some point in their life been in the, in the sex trafficking industry. Maybe some of you when you were younger, maybe you did uh, involve yourself in some prostitution, regardless of what side that is. But today I want to share with you that our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, can even save prostitutes. That he can save the vilest of murderers, the most wicked of men. Our God can save anyone. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't just die for the righteous. As a matter of fact, he died for the sinners. And today as we study Rahab, we're going to find what many would say is the chief of sinners, but we're going to see how God transforms Rahab's life. Now when you think about her occupation, we focus on the fact that she was a prostitute, but she was also probably someone who dealt in linen. She had flax on her roof. She was drying it out. 
We also find later on in scripture that she was uh, involved in dyeing linen certain colors. So she had an other business, but it's kind of funny how so many times we focus on the worst of people rather than the best. But in the grand scheme of things, she would have not been anyone who we would have thought would have come to a place of fame or notoriety. And you may say, Ben, I'm in that camp. You know, sometimes when I think about what I've done in my life, and I think about the sin, or I think about the places I've been, you know, it's very easy for us to start thinking, can I really go to heaven? Am I really saved? Can God really love someone like me? But you know, God doesn't just put these uh, events in scripture by chance. He puts these in here, and and I've said this a million times, every hero in Scripture is flawed other than Jesus Christ. The the greatest, the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham himself, lied and was deceptive, took a a concubine in order to have a child because he didn't trust God, God enough to give Sarah a child. This was the father of the Jewish nation. He was a sinner. Every hero in Scripture is sinners. Guess what? We are too. And if God can use King David, he can use you. If God can use Rahab, he can use you. And I believe that God puts these stories in front of us so that we know that it's not about us. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how much you know, but it's about how great he is, about how awesome he is, about what he has done. Because really, when God uses me, I can never take credit for it because I'm a sinner. You know what happens when God does great things through me? It always points right back to him. Because he is the one to be praised and to be worshipped. So here I'm going to kind of give you a little backdrop of where this event took place in the timeline of Israel. So Israel was on the other side of the Jordan. They had come out of the 40-year wanderings in the wilderness. Moses had just died of 120 years old. Moses had raised up Joshua to succeed him as the leader of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel comes up to the Jordan River. Some scholars say that it could have been one, maybe two million Israelites there in that encampment, in that march toward the promised land. So now the children of Israel are encamped on this side of the Jordan. But on the other side of the Jordan where the promised land is, is city after city after city, fortress after fortress after fortress of people who Israel was going to have to defeat in battle in order to fulfill the promise that God had given them. God said that he would give them that land, but that they had to go and possess it. So now Joshua is leading the children of Israel, and he says, you know what, we need to find out as much about this first city that we're going to attack as possible. So I'm going to send two spies secretly into the city of Jericho. And spies, what I want you to do is, is I want you to find out about their walls, I want you to find out about their entrances, their gates. I want you to find out about their military. I want you to find out when the city shuts down, when everyone goes to bed. I want you to find out the weaknesses of the city. I want you to do as much research as you can and bring it back to us so that we can have all the knowledge we need when we attack the city of Jericho. So now here we are. We're at this place where the spies have entered into the city of Jericho. They crossed the Jordan. They went to the other side, leaving the rest of Israel behind, and have gone to this city to investigate, to see what it's all about. You know, sometimes in our little worlds, we try to uh, view history and historical events like this found in Scripture through our eyes. And we think, well, did you really have to go to Jericho to find out what it was all about? I mean, we can go on Google Maps. We could have zoomed in. We could have seen the walls that went around Jericho. We could have done some research on Wikipedia and found out what kind of military they had. Listen, they didn't have all that back then. 
No, the Israelites had never seen this city before in their entire lives. Many of them had never, actually all of them had never been across the Jordan River their entire lives. They didn't know what was waiting on the other side. So that kind of gives us that idea. Well, they're in the midst of the enemy camp, the city of Jericho. Jericho was known as a great walled city. And as we read a little bit further, we're going to find that Rahab's home was actually on the city wall that her home actually was a part of the city wall. And that's going to play into to what we see happens uh, as we go forward. So there are four different things that I want us to see about Rahab today. Four different things that as we read her story in Joshua chapter 2 about what she did in relation to God and what it did to change her life. And when you leave here today, I want you to model your life after Rahab's. You say, Ben, I never thought someone would tell me to model my life after someone who once was a prostitute. But that just shows you the power of our God and how great and how awesome he is. We need a few Rahabs in here, by the way. And you're going to find out why here shortly. So the first thing that we're going to see about Rahab is her submission. Her submission. And we found that in verses 1 through 7. So as it's going through verses 1 through 7, you find that there is this woman in Jericho. And as the spies find their way to her home, she gives them refuge. They're being chased. They're being chased by soldiers in Jericho because something has happened that has alerted them to the fact that the enemy spies are in the city. So they're chasing them. They're trying to find them. They're going house to house, door to door, knocking and knocking. And the fact that Rahab's home would have been on the city wall would have meant, even though it was dark, there were a lot of neighbors who would have seen two strange men going into her house that night. And they would have been able to tell the authorities in Jericho, you need to go to Rahab's house and you need to check this out because there were two strange men that I'd never seen before go into her home. So she takes these men and she shelters them and she protects them. It says in verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. The king of Jericho sent word to Rahab by, the, by soldiers, bring the men out who came to you. But the woman had taken, in verse 4, the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out. I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Here, Rahab already had some knowledge about the true God. And we're going to see really how that came about. But she already knew that something much greater than her was at work. Now listen, this is what's so unique about this story. She had grown up and lived in the city of Jericho. That's all she knew. You know, we, in our society today, we talk a lot about patriotism. And we talk about the fact that we are loyal to our country. We are loyal to our nation. We respect our nation. Well, here we have a woman growing up in the city of Jericho, an Amorite city, who decides, you know what? I'm going to choose God over my country. I'm going to choose the king of heaven over the only thing I've ever known, and that is the city of Jericho. That night, she was willing to lie to the soldiers in order to protect the men of God. She was submitting to the Lord. She was saying, you know what? Everything that makes sense, I am not going to follow it today. I'm going to do what might seem illogical to the rest of the world, and I'm going to go with God. 
Now remember, she didn't have a Bible sitting in front of her. She didn't know the story of the God of Israel. All she had heard was little bits and pieces of information about the children of Israel coming through the wilderness and coming across the Jordan. That's all she had. But it was enough for the Holy Spirit to convict her heart, to reveal to her the truth. And that day she submitted. Rather than submitting to men, she submitted to God. You may say, Ben, is it okay to lie? Well, all I can say is this, that yes, Rahab lied, and I will say that God never once condemned her lie in Scripture, even when she was talked about much later in the New Testament. Yes, it's wrong to lie, but in times of war, in those special circumstances, I don't think you would have gotten mad at anyone in Nazi Germany for lying to the Nazis about some Jewish um, refugees that you were keeping in your basement. And I think that those people would not have been held to that either. So I think that's where we're at here. She was a righteous woman who had just got a glimpse of the true God and said, I want him. That's all she knew was that there is a God greater than me and he's the real deal. Everything that I've had before now was not real, but he is the real deal and I am going to submit to him. You know, a king, one thing that makes a king able to rule or a queen or a monarch, the only thing that enables them to be who they are is if their people submit to their leadership. That's all that makes any type of an authority figure effective is those who follow them must submit to them. That day she chose God rather than men. And I'm asking you today, are you like Rahab? Are you submitting to the will of God? Are you submitting to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Or are your loyalties lying somewhere else? You know what? what what's known as Christian nationalism is a real thing that we're combating with today. And what that is, is basically where we have created a religion out of patriotism. We have actually made the flag an idol to the point where we worship the American flag. We have come to a place, and listen, I'm not for these guys who want to kneel just to prove a point and say America's racist, okay? I don't want you to hear that. But I want you to understand that nothing, no matter what it is, can ever take the place of God. I don't care what it is. Nothing must ever take his place for he is worthy of all things. He's worthy of all praise and all worship and all honor and all glory. And I'm here to tell you today, do not fall into the false religion of Christian nationalism. Remember what the Bible says? Nations rise and nations fall. America is not your salvation. The American flag is not your salvation. You know what Rahab figured out that day? Jericho is not my salvation. Guess who my salvation is? the God and the King of glory. And that day, she made the right choice. So we see that she had submission. You know, there was another biblical character that you might would argue was a little bit better than Rahab. His name was Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah? You know what got Jonah? Christian nationalism. He chose country over God. You know what he said? He said, God, I know that you want me to go and preach to those heathen Ninevites I know that you want me to tell them to repent for your judgment is coming, but you know what? I don't want to because my people in Israel will make fun of me if I turn my back on them and go and try to see the enemy get saved. See, Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian Empire that one day, uh, albeit, would actually take over the nation of Israel and enslave Israel. But God told Jonah, go to the enemy and tell them about me so that they can repent of their sin. And Jonah said, no, I'd rather go to Tarshish and run from you, God, because I would rather not upset my people. I'd rather not upset my nation and my traditions. So he turned from God and he went 
that way. What happened? God brought him back, didn't he? God said, no, Jonah, you're mine. You're not going to choose your country over me. You're going to go to Nineveh and you're going to preach. What happened? He went. The whole city got saved. The enemy repented of their sins and got saved. You know what, Rahab? She, she knew something much, much better than Jonah ever did. I choose God over my country. I choose God over man. I choose God over humanism and human understanding. And praise God that she submitted that day. But the next thing I want us to see is this, her faith. Yes, she submitted, but she had great faith. You know, many people say, you know, faith is so hard to explain. Isn't it just kind of believing something that you've never seen or that you don't really fully know about? Well, that's not faith. And the Bible gives the most beautiful definition that you could imagine about faith. But first, let's read Joshua 2, verses 8 through 14. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know, did you hear that? I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. When you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family. Because I showed kindness to you, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give you our lives for yours if you don't report our mission. We will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us this land. Here, Rahab had faith. She knew the truth. She knew the true God. And here she makes that statement. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 give us the definition of what true biblical faith is. Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the reality. You hear that word? Reality. Reality is what is real. That is the definition of reality. Now faith is what is real, of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. That doesn't sound like fairy tale magic to me. Reality, proof, sounds like facts. Factual information that is absolutely true. It says in verse two, for by this our ancestors were approved, talking about faith. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. In other words, the truth of reality is this, that God created everything out of nothing. That God created everything by the word of his mouth. Now, faith is understanding that fact and that reality. How do we know that God exists? Because of the testimony found in scripture. How did Rahab know that the God of the Hebrews was the true God? Because somebody saw what he had been doing over in the wilderness Somebody heard about what God did at the Red Sea. And she said, based on that eyewitness account and that testimony, I choose to believe in the reality of the God of the Hebrews. And she said, I trust him today. That was Rahab's faith. Here, let's go back and read that a little bit more. Jo uh, Joshua 2, starting in verse uh, 9. I know that the Lord has given you this land. Boy, she knows 
Okay, that's not a, I hope God's given you this land. I know he has. That's faith. I know that the Lord has given you this land and the terror of you has fallen on us all and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. In other words, we know that it's the real deal. For we have heard, listen, that's testimony. How did you get saved? You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did you get saved? You heard the word of God preached. How do you know who God is? You read the testimony of men and women who have eyewitness accounts of who God is and what God has done throughout history. Here she said, I know this. She said, everyone who lives in the land is panicking because we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart. Hey, you remember when you got saved? Remember the conviction that was on your life that day? Maybe you were sitting under a sermon and you realized, I am lost. Remember that feeling? Boy, you lose heart, don't you? Boy, everything just drops. A sense of hopelessness comes over you because you realize your sinfulness. You realize your hopeless state. Here, the city of Jericho realized their hopelessness against the God of all heaven. But in verse 11, when we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. Now listen, for the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on earth below. She said, I know that your God is the true God. I know that God has given this city into your hands. So today, I'm going to have faith in your God. I'm going to trust the true God, the one God, the only God who can save. I'm going to trust in him today. And you know what? Based upon Rahab's faith that day, she was saved. She was born again. Now, you may say, well, Ben, this happened before Jesus died on the cross. We're going to talk about that next week. But the Bible teaches us that even the believers of the Old Testament were made righteous by their faith in the one true God, by trusting his promises and trusting who he is. Listen, I'm here to tell you Rahab's in heaven today. Guess what? If you're going to heaven, you're going to get to meet Rahab. You're going to get to ask her about this night in Jericho when God did such a mighty work in her heart, in her life. You know how your lost friends and loved ones are going to get saved? You gotta tell them about the God of heaven. You gotta tell them about the only God who can save them because the Bible says that a person can't be saved unless they hear the gospel. And guess who God has entrusted to be the preachers and the heralds of the gospel? All of us. By the word of the truth, people are saved in that and that alone. So today, listen, let's be like Rahab. Let's trust in the only true God who can save. The next thing I want you to see is her obedience. Her obedience. We find that in verses 15 through 21. Listen, true faith spurs obedience. You might say, Ben, I'm saved. You know, I was baptized back in the day. And, you know, a lot of times that's the first thing you'll hear from people. Are you saved? Yeah, I've been baptized. Listen, baptism isn't salvation. That, the water in that baptistry can't save you. That is to follow your salvation by showing the world what's already happened on the inside. But you ask these people, have you ever been saved? And they'll say, yeah, I've been saved. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I know the Lord, but there's no fruit. There's no obedience to God's word. They say, you know, some of that's kind of old-timey. Yeah, I, I, I trust God, I trust Jesus, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna necessarily obey every word in, in the Bible. Listen, something's wrong. I don't think your faith was genuine. If you're not willing to obey the word of God, you may say, Ben, was Rahab's faith genuine or was she just afraid of dying in the battle when the Israelites came about? Well, let's see. Let's see if her faith 
follows through with obedience. Let's start in verse 15 and go through verse 21. Then she let them down by a rope. Now remember, she's saving their lives. She's, they're escaping the hand of these soldiers. She let them down by a rope through the window since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return. Afterward, go on your way. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear unless when we enter the land you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his death will be on his own fault and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear." Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away after they had gone. She tied the scarlet cord to the window. So as they left, she didn't forget what had been said. They said, Rahab, this is what you're going to have to do if you want to be saved. If you want to be sheltered from the impending war, you've got to tie that scarlet rope in the window and wait for us to return. As they left, the first thing she did well, she tied that into her window. She obeyed. She understood that the true God was about to do a mighty thing in Jericho, and she wanted to be on the winning side. She understood that these men knew that God, and they were able to tell her what she needed to do to be saved. Parents, which would you say that you appreciate more when it comes to your children? Do you appreciate more when they give you gifts, or do you appreciate more when they obey you? I would agree. Because you know what? Your child can, can let you, what you tell them go in one ear and out the other and come give you a sweet gift every once in a while to butter you up. But you know what that does? That, that kind of makes me a little angry sometimes, you know, because we're not doing that to try to earn favor. I mean, this isn't about earning favor, but this is obeying because in obedience, it shows the truth of your heart. Because when you obey, you're not obeying because you feel like to, uh, you need to obey. I mean, how many times are we tasked with obedience and we actually feel like obeying? Not very often. But we do it because we respect the one who's asking us to do it. And when we have true, genuine, saving faith, it is a love relationship with the creator of the universe. And when we have that love relationship with him, we obey him, not because we're afraid of him. Rahab was not obeying because she was afraid of God anymore. Because she knew that the God of heaven was going to save her from her doom. She was obeying at that point because she loved him. Because she said, you know what? A God who would save me, a Gentile, someone not even in the Jewish nation, someone who's lived a lifestyle of sin, a God who would save me, I'm going to obey him. And that's what true Christianity is. It's where we obey God out of love because we love him with all of our hearts. I think if we got back to a love relationship with the Lord, we'd start seeing our churches full again. You know what, if we loved the Lord out of a pure and true heart and we obeyed him because we loved him, I think we'd start seeing marriages do better. I think we'd start seeing children raised in the admonition of the Lord. I think we'd start to see some things change around in our country if we truly love the Lord like we're called to love him. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 through 23, King Saul was already kind of on God's bad side. He had already been in this habit of disobeying God and kind of calling his own shots when he would go into battle. And here they were coming to 
fight this, this city. And what God told them before they went in to conquer this city was, you kill everything. You kill all the people. You kill all the livestock. Don't you leave anything behind. Well, the prophet Samuel comes to visit Saul, and he starts to hear sheeps bang in the, in the background. He starts to hear farm animals uh, making noises. And Samuel looks at Saul, and he says, Saul, what, are, what is that? Well, we thought we could keep some of the livestock so we could sacrifice it to God later. It was just such nice livestock, we hated to kill it, so we kept some of it. Samuel looked at him, and this is what Samuel said. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. And defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And that was the beginning of the end for King Saul. You know, our God hasn't changed today. He'd rather you obey than sacrifice. He would rather you love him enough to do what he's commanded you to do. He'd rather you love him enough that your light would reflect his goodness and his glory than all the gifts in the world that you could give him. Did you know that God doesn't need anything you have? That you cannot add to God by giving him of your intelligence or of your time or of your work or of your devotion, none of those things. God has everything. All he requires is obedience. And I'm telling you, Rahab hit the nail on the head that day. There is redemption in that scarlet rope. Think it's a coincidence that the color of that rope was scarlet? I don't think so. Because remember, the Old Testament points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why was that rope scarlet? The color of the blood of Christ. You know what? The Old Testament saints, they're in heaven today because there was going to come a Messiah one day who would shed his blood to pay for their sins. You know why Abraham is in heaven today? The blood of Christ. His faith and his trusting in the future promised Messiah who would die for the sins of the world, Abraham is in heaven because of that blood. Hey, there's only one way to heaven, Jesus said, and that's through him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And listen, there is no other way, not even for the Old Testament saints. No one gets to heaven except by the blood of Jesus Christ. There that day, Jesus was making himself known in that city of Jericho. Rahab was going to be saved by symbolism and a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. Today, maybe you know Christ, maybe you don't. But I can tell you this, if you have never had the blood of Jesus applied to your soul, you're hopeless. If you've never accepted that payment upon the cross of Calvary for your sins, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are hopeless. But let me tell you what, if you have, your sins have been forgiven. And you have an eternal home in heaven waiting for you. Hey, that same grace, that same gospel that saved you, saved Rahab that day. Made a way for her to be saved and for her family to be saved. Salvation had come to her house by faith, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you think about the story of the Passover. Remember the fact that they took the blood of the lambs and they went and they, they put them on the side post of the door and the, and the top of the door. And the, and, and the command was, children of Israel, if you don't want your firstborn child to be, to be taken, take the blood, put it on the door and stay in your house. 
and don't come out. Now, if you come out, I can't, God's not going to protect you. You've got to stay behind the blood. You've got to stay protected by the blood. You think about the ark, Noah's ark. You think about, well, how in the world does Noah's ark symbolize and reflect the salvation that comes to the blood of Jesus? Listen, the ark was a type of Christ. The fact that they were protected inside the ark, that God left the door open and then shut it on the seventh day and he said, get inside the ark so that you can be saved from the flood. Here, Rahab was no different. The spies told her, stay in your house. Put the scarlet rope outside and based upon your staying hidden in the protection of God Almighty behind the blood of the lamb, you will be saved. You and your family will be saved. And that's what we see here is an absolutely beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get in and be safe. I think that's a good motto for Christians. Hey, if you want to be safe, get behind the blood. Get behind the blood of Jesus. Nothing else will save you. Nothing else will cleanse you from your iniquity and your sin. But lastly, I want us to see this, and it's Rahab's victory. Rahab's victory. So you may say, Ben, how do I get victory in my life? Because listen, we all want victory. We all want a decisive win in our lives. We all want to to know and have peace and comfort that we're doing the right thing, that our life is going as it was intended to go, that, that we're making a difference in other people's life. Just follow the model of Rahab if you want victory. Number one, submit. Number one, submit to the authority of the God of heaven. Secondly, have faith. Trust and know based upon the scriptures, based upon the gospel that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Trust, have faith. Thirdly, just be obedient. You know, when things are hard, when things get tough, when you don't know what else to do, just obey. Sometimes you know what God's telling you? Just sit still and be quiet. Just wait. Just obey when he says that. You know what will happen? He'll do an amazing thing in your life. Now, if we can do all those things, then guess what? We're going to get to share the same kind of victory that Rahab got to, got to share. We're going to find that in verses 22 through 24. So Joshua 2, beginning in verse 22, the Bible says this. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way but did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. You know, victories are so sweet because they're so decisive. You know, nothing you hate more is a tie. I'd rather you just beat me half to death than tie with me. Because then we don't know who won. And nobody likes that, right? Now, don't hate me because of this, but I am a Miami Dolphins fan, all right? I don't watch the NFL anymore because of the drama, but I'm still a Dolphins fan. Well, the Dolphins' claim to fame is the 1972 Miami Dolphins football team. They're the only team in the history of the NFL, and I'll say this again, they're the only team in the history of the NFL to win every regular season game and every postseason game and win a Super Bowl in the same year. I don't need to say it again, right? I'm just playing. (laughs) That victory was so decisive 
that there has never been another team that can claim to be better. Now, you may say, well, with Ben, with modern-day equipment and modern-day training and, and, you know, the athletes are so much better nowadays. Listen, you can't prove that to me because you can't take a modern-day team back to 1972 to play that 1972 Dolphins. So the only thing that matters is the record. That's all that matters, right? Zero losses. It was a decisive victory. Well, I want you to, I want you to know this. Rahab had that kind of victory. Such a decisive victory that day that there was no ifs, ands, or buts about the fact that God had saved her. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about the fact that God was going to save her entire family. Joshua chapter 6 tells us that the spies did not forgo their promise that they made to Rahab. Beginning in Joshua 6 verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, Go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there. And all who are with her, just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, her mother, her brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside of the camp of Israel. Aren't you glad that God keeps his promises today? The Bible teaches us that if we'll trust by faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, and if we will repent of our sins, that God will indeed save us. That same promise that God made to Abraham about the coming Messiah, the same promise that God made to David about the, the, the Messianic king who would come and sit on the throne forever, that same promise that he made to us in the new covenant based upon his shed blood, God does not lie. God always keeps his promises. When God makes you a promise, it's as good as an undefeated season with a Super Bowl win. It's going to happen, and there's no way anyone can contest it. So you know what I'm so glad about? That Rahab, that scarlet cord that hung out her window, that same scarlet cord that resembled the blood of Jesus, each and every one of us are going to be able to wave that same symbol. See, I've got right here... Scarlet piece of material. And listen, when I walk into the pearly gates of heaven, I'm not going to be waving that American flag. Guess what? I'm not going to be waving the don't tread on me flag. I'm not going to be waving any other flag that I might tend to like. When I walk through the gates of heaven, I'm going to be waving this one right here. That blood-stained banner. When I walk through the gates, I'm going to say, praise be to God, I'm here today. Because Jesus died for me. Because of the blood of the Lamb. You know what's so beautiful about our Savior? Is that he still bears the marks of his crucifixion on his body as he sits in heaven today. The Bible teaches us that he is in heaven like a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You know what that means? That when we look at him, we're going to be able to see the marks of his crucifixion in glory. We're going to be able to remember the fact that he shed his own blood to wash away our sins. That same blood that saved Rahab, that same blood that saved Abraham, that same blood that saved King David is the same blood that can save you today. And I tell you what, as Christians, let's wave this bloodstained banner. When all else fails, when America falls, when our politicians disappoint us, when things don't make sense and the world decides to make themselves their own gods, hey, Let's raise that bloodstained banner. And here is what's so beautiful about that. The Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, the Bible says this. As he comes to conquer the world, it says that he wore a robe dipped in blood. 
And his name is called the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says this, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And here's that victory that we all have if we know Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your sting, where death is your victory. The, death of, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning in prayer.